Well, good morning, church family, and Merry Christmas to you. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke 2, 8 through 14, deacons are going to head up the aisle at this time and collect any prayer slips or visitor slips that you may have, and we commit to pray with you uh, over those needs. Thank you for sharing them with us. Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts, described Charlie Brown's best friend, Linus Van Pelt, as the house intellectual, bright and well-informed. And indeed, Schultz often utilized Linus as the cartoon's dispenser of wisdom and philosophy. Linus provided a voice of reason among the less mature uh, voices of his peers. He was sometimes able to escape the bullying of his sister Lucy by outsmarting or confusing her. And as we saw this morning, he often countered Charlie's despair and despondency with wisdom beyond his years. Of course, all, this mil- all of this maturity was held in perfect comedic balance by the ever-present security blanket that he just couldn't function without. In the present cultural climate, much of the content we see in the world of, of media doesn't acknowledge Christmas at all, opting instead for generic terms like the holidays or uh, the season. But back in 1965, television broadcast corporations and corporate sponsors, in this case Coca-Cola, weren't afraid to just let Christmas be Christmas. And when Charlie Brown needed to know what Christmas was all about, the answer wasn't tradition or family or giving gifts. The answer was intentionally and overtly Christian. Moreover, Linus doesn't simply explain Christmas to Charlie Brown. He doesn't just read the narrative of the birth passage to, uh, from Luke chapter 2. Um, he has that memorized. And um, the possibility that a child would have this very meaningful story from Luke memorized is not presented as something miraculous or even all that remarkable. That he would be able to recite a portion of Luke 2 to a friend is depicted as kind and helpful, not as the child of religious fanatics beating other children over the head with a Bible. Linus used scripture to counter Charlie Brown's depression with hope. And Linus is right. This is what Christmas is all about that there is good news of great joy for all people. So first, the angel announces good news of great joy. Fear not, good news. Everything else that follows falls under this umbrella, that this is good news. This is the stuff of joy. But to see why, we need to begin with the shepherd's initial reaction, which was fear. You'll see their response in verse 9. Before the angels even said a word, they were greatly afraid. And this is more than being startled. It wasn't the sudden light or the inexplicable appearance of the angel. The word here is phobeo. It's, it's where we get phobia. And megas, where we get, well, mega. Mega, fear. And if that weren't enough, phobeo is used as the, in the verb form and the noun form in the same phrase. The literal interpretation would be they feared with a great fear. These shepherds were terrified. And they were right to fear. When the presence of God is made known, as it is here in verse 9, uh, verse 9 says the glory of God was all around them, shining around them. The general response to that in the, in the scriptures is fear. God shows up, people hit the floor, they hit the deck, and that's always the response. Why is that? Why is it that when God shows up, we don't see people leap for joy? It's because of our sin. Things are not right between this holy God and his fallen creation. There's enmity between us. It's the direct result of our rebellion against him. And we see the same reaction from the very earliest response, which we looked at last night, 
this, the response of sinful humanity. In Genesis 3.10, Adam says, I heard the sound of you coming and I hid from you. I was afraid. The shepherds feared rightly because the news could have been very different. But the angel says, fear not. It's good news of great joy. How great? Actually, Luke uses the same word, megas, which I think is, is very interesting that it was mega fear when God's glory appeared on the scene of what might come and then mega joy, mega good news, a very, very big joy. The good news properly understood uh, in all its fullness happens when we see the first, uh, mag- first see the magnitude of the bad news. And I was talking with a brother just the other day who had opportunity to tell a group of his friends, longtime, lifelong friends, uh, about all the Lord had done in his life. And he said it was just met with a blank stare. And he said, how, how can that be? How, how, can they, how can they hear all that God has done and not, and not get it? And we were just talking together about the need to see the bad news, to, underst- to understand the magnitude of the good news well, what is this good news? The biblical word for good news is euangelion. It's where we get our words evangelical and evangelize. And if you're anywhere in South Louisiana uh, and you see uh, evangeline or evangeline, or if you know someone who's named that, um, that is what it means. It means good news. And that is what this message is. It is good news that God has not forgotten the promise he made to bring about a solution for sin and its consequences. Secondly, this joy is for all people, all people. The message from the angel is that um, this message of joy applies to all. That's an interesting inclusion from Dr. Luke. We know that from the record of scripture that Luke was a friend of the apostle Paul and that he was a Gentile. That would make him the only Gentile author of uh, any book of scripture. And of the four gospel authors, it's Luke who's most concerned with the relationship of this good news and of Jesus's ministry to um, those who were outcast or marginalized in society. We see uh, Luke concerned uh, particularly with the way Jesus interacted with the poor, with the sick, with Gentiles, with women. In particular, these are more emphasized in Luke than some of the other gospels. And the angel's message that the good news would be for all can really be applied in two ways. Uh, one, that this is not a gospel for the privileged. This is not a good, a good news for the privileged alone. He has not come down from on high to confer with the wealthy and the powerful or the religious elite. This message is for all people. But secondly, this message of the good news is not to Israel only. It's not only to his people Israel, but to save people of any and all ethnicities and nationalities. And while that would probably have seemed strange to many in Israel, it was always in the redemptive purpose of God from the very beginning to bring about salvation through this this chosen people Israel, but unto all people. The scene gathered around heaven's throne is myriads and myriads from every tribe and tongue. How do they get there? They get there through the saving work of Jesus Christ. A savior sent from and through Israel, but for the whole world. Luke, or more properly, the angel messenger, has already hinted at this in Luke chapter 1. If you would, turn back a page if necessary, or look across the page to Luke 1 verse 32. Luke 1 verse 32. In this the angel Gabriel tells to Mary, 
Jesus would be called the Son of the Most High. Now, the Most High or the Most High God was a name of God in the old days, long before he revealed his name to Moses at the burning bush. One of the places that we see this name, El Elyon, God Most High, uh, mentioned is in Genesis 14. After Abram rescues Lot, he meets and gives a tithe to the king of Salem named Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem and the priest of Most High God. Both the psalmist and the author of Hebrews tell us that the Messiah, that the Christ, would be of the order of Melchizedek, both a king and a priest, which, by the way, would be impossible for any Jew to fulfill. This means that this priesthood comes before the specific institution of the priesthood within Judaism. This comes before and supersedes. The priests were descended from Levi. Kings were descended from Judah. And so you could not be both a king and a priest, but this is not that priesthood. This is a priesthood of the order of Melchizedek, a priesthood of the Most High God. The angel might have said he will be called Son of Jehovah or Son of Yahweh. That's not what he said. He said Son of the Most High God, a Savior not just for Israel, from Israel and through Israel, but to all people. Back to the shepherds. The good news of great joy for all the people. He is, the angel says, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And maybe you're wondering this morning, what is all this church language about Jesus? I mean, what are all these religious titles? Are they, do they actually mean anything? Or are we just, is this just pomp and circumstance? Did we miss anything? We've got Savior and Christ and Lord and all of these titles. Well, every title means something. And every one of them is significant. He is the Savior. He's a deliverer. That would beg the question, what do we need to be saved from? And the answer, the simple message of Christianity is that God is holy and we are not. That ever since the time of the the garden, even our best attempts at godliness and holiness fall so far short as to be an offense to him. Thus, what all men need to be saved from is the wrath of God because of our sin. And Jesus is that Savior. God could have left us in our sinful state, and he would have been just to do so, to punish us. But he sent the answer to the sin problem in the person of Jesus to die the death that we rightly deserved. He is a sacrifice. He took the place of those who deserved God's wrath. He is the Savior, the deliverer of all who believed. Secondly, he is the Christ. This means anointed one. The Old Testament equivalent is Messiah. That's not Jesus' last name. It's not a colorful swear word. The pages of scripture back to the very beginning are Christ the Messiah's story. And all the things that are named about this anointed one must be true of anyone who would claim to be him. And there were many pretenders, and there still are. But Jesus, here in the message of the angels to the shepherds, is shown to perfectly fulfill all the requirements of all the prophecies. He is the one who is able to sit on the throne of David and will do so forever. And he is Lord. In Greek, the word used is kyrios. It means uh, the one who has authority. A good translation would be master. The context of the New Testament, Lord or kyrios is used as a title for God himself, as the one who has all authority, the master of all things. And that is true of Jesus. So the angel said quite a lot here by saying, a Savior, Christ the Lord. 
He's said that he is a savior, a deliverer from God's holy and righteous judgment who fulfills all of the prophetic requirements to inherit both the throne of Israel and all the covenant promises to David and his descendant. And he who himself is master over all things, having all authority and all of that as a baby in a manger. Thirdly, glory to God and peace on earth. In verse 13, we see there's suddenly a multitude of other heavenly beings with the messenger angel, and they also have a proclamation to make glory to God and peace on earth. Glory is God's fame or his renown. He's jealous for it. He is the being most worthy of glory, and so it isn't right for his glory to go to anyone else. And all that has transpired in the story of humanity's fall and redemption Even this coming, especially this coming of uh, Jesus, is for his glory, for his fame and renown. And this story from Bethlehem is a very special part of his glory. This would be the culmination of the plan. The revelation of his plan after thousands of years of waiting with only mysteries and clues. How could the one who said that sin would result in death be shown to be just if he didn't bring about judgment? How could he be said to be merciful if he would not forgive? How could both things be true? How could both things come to pass? And the answer was not some theological essay or some legal loophole. The answer was Jesus. Jesus is the proof that God is who he claimed to be and always does what he promised to do. Even when we can't see how it could be. His greatness, his glory, and his fame are all on on display here at the coming of Christ. The angels all praise God, they say glory to God, and they say something very special about our relationship with him, peace, peace on earth. Of all the evidence that we could point to that things are not as they ought be here in this world, I would say the lack of peace is probably chief. From the time of the very first sin, there has been no peace. No peace in our relationships with one another, no peace with our relationship Uh, In this world, the way the world relates to us and the brokenness and fallenness and and perversion of the things that God designed and certainly no peace with God who is holy and we are his enemies. The angel's message that God has provided the solution for this lack of peace. This, This is one of the greatest and deepest felt of the human need. Even those who reject the message of Christianity or religion in general still value peace. They desire peace. There's in every man some sense that offenses should be satisfied, that conflict should be brought to an end, and that enemies should be reconciled. The word Luke uses is irene, irene, which is where our word serene comes from. Peace is the removal of conflict, the absence of threat. All is calm, all is bright. And it is this baby Jesus who is ultimately able to provide true peace. All of the peace that we experience now is temporary and imperfect. But when the Prince of Peace returns, there will be a final peace. In case you missed it, there's a powerful message in the Charlie Brown clip that we watched at the beginning. As Linus recites this portion of Luke 2, he drops the security blanket that he's held uh, all his life to the floor. In the story of Peanuts, as you may know, that's a pretty big deal. He's been without the blanket before. He's even given it up willingly before, but he's never been well without it. But in this little clip, just as he recites the words of the angel, fear not, the blanket hits the ground 
And Linus, comforted in the moment by the peace offered in the good news of the angels, needs no other security. How about you? The final words of this angelic host indicate that peace is offered in the good news, but it is a conditional promise. A conditional promise. What does that mean? Do you see it? It's right there in the text. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who is he pleased with? Is that even possible? Maybe as we've talked about the good news and the great joy and the peace on earth and all these things that we happily remember during Christmas, you've thought to yourself, are you kidding? What peace? What good news? There are blizzard conditions. There are rolling power outages. A deadly 40-car pileup on the interstate and killer algae at the beach. And that's just today. Yes, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The peace that's promised is not... Um, it's not the end of earthly conflict or, or tragedy, though that is coming too in its time. The peace that's offered by the good news from the angels is that while you walk this fallen and broken world and experience all those shortcomings and sorrows, you may have peace. Peace in your inner man, peace with God. Does the peace on earth described in for, verse 14 apply to you? Can you even know such a thing? Is that even possible? Well, I remember at 16 years of age, a man of the faith named Jim sharing the gospel with me. And I'll never forget the verse that he shared with me. It was 1 John 5, 13, which says, I write these things to you that believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. You can know, you can be certain that you have eternal life, that this peace offered by the angels can be used, uh, can be yours. The good news is yours. The great joy is yours. The peace is yours if you are found pleasing to God. And that is never accomplished by things that you must do. It is never accomplished by what or uh, what things that we do or don't do, but more properly by who we must believe in. That is how being pleasing to him is accomplished. So this morning, I would hold up before you, free for the taking, the very greatest gift, peace with God through faith in Christ. Our musicians are going to come at this time and lead us in a time of responding. And I would just say, even this morning on Christmas, if you never placed your faith in Christ, I'd love to talk with you about doing that. If you've wrestled with objections to how the promises of the Messiah could be true, come. Come in here, come and talk those things through. If you have questions about the faith or if there are other needs on your heart, I'll be available here at the front. We're going to sing. We're going to sing joy to the world. And so let's go to him in prayer and ask him to bless this time before we conclude. Father God, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message from the angels. This message that peace can be known by those who were at enmity with you. And that it doesn't come by things that we must do or things that we must quit, but by placing our faith in the one who has come. Thank you for for Christ, the babe who was found in a manger, who was Jesus, who was Christ, the Lord, who is the answer for all of these things. And thank you for the promise that you will come again. Lord, we look forward to, to that day. Would you move now in this time and may we respond to you in faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.